Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. It's not about your rights. It's about the gospel. And it's not about your freedom. It's about love for your brother because love builds people up. And Paul is saying, I personally do not want to do anything that is going to prevent the building up of my brothers or sisters, or it's going to hinder that from happening. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 23, in a message titled, All Things to All People for the Sake of the Gospel. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so we are doing our series, Everyday Discipleship, as some of you know. And 1 Corinthians is our text that we are using as we go through this series. And so some of you will remember from our last teaching that Paul began a new subject in chapter 8 that continues right through chapter 10 and finally concludes in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, as I pointed out before, this letter to the church in Corinth is very much a corrective letter because the Corinthian Christians were messed up. They were not really behaving as Christians ought to behave. And so Paul has a series of things that he has to address with them. And so as we come to the eighth chapter, we looked at that last time, we see that now here's the new subject matter. It's this thing about eating food that has been offered to idols. And so there's really two things that he's addressing in these chapters that we're looking at. Number one, he's working through Christians navigating life in an idolatrous culture. That's kind of the bigger picture. And then secondly, how Christians are to view and relate to one another when it comes to disputed matters and personal freedom in the context of foods that were offered to idols. Now, as I pointed out, that that food offered to idols isn't anything that we really, today, at least in most of Western culture, it's not anything that we are even at all confronted with or can even in some ways relate to. I mean, when was the last time you were in a situation where you had to make a decision about whether you should eat this food that was offered to an idol or not? But in the first century Roman world, this was a big thing. And as I pointed out, for people who come to faith in the context of the Hindu or the Buddhist world, this is still very much a real thing today. So literally for people in that kind of a cultural context, these verses apply very directly. For us today, they apply more or less indirectly. And so what we're going to look at is more the principle that is behind what Paul is instructing them to do. So 
In chapter 8, we saw that Paul answered the second question, this question of how Christians are to view and relate to one another when it comes to disputed matters and personal freedom. And we saw that Paul answered this question by warning the stronger Christians. Now, they were stronger in as much as they understood that idols were not really anything, we shouldn't be superstitious, but there was an arrogance that was accompanying them on this, and that was the problem. They were the ones who they knew. So they knew better than others, and they were technically right, but then they looked down on those who didn't see things the way they saw them, and they had little patience or grace for them. And so Paul, he is saying to this group of people, he's saying to them that they are not to exercise their freedom in a way that would stumble their weaker brothers or sisters. Then he says this at the end of chapter eight about himself. Now he is obviously in the category of the stronger Christian, but notice what he says in chapter eight, at the end of chapter eight, verse 13. Look what he says. He says, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. So that's Paul's position. That's what he says to them. Now, he immediately anticipates that they're going to push back against that. They're not going to like what he says. And so in this next chapter, chapter 9, he is going to show how this principle And here it is, of putting the welfare of others above his rights for the sake of the gospel, he's going to show them how this works out in his own life and ministry. So now on the surface, it seems like, even to me, that, wow, this is a hard, this is a hard passage to really apply. But if we understand what the real issue is here, it really does make it relevant to us in this moment because the real issue here that Paul is addressing is the issue of rights. And there are seven times in verses 1 through 18, Paul makes reference to rights. He says, don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife? He says, is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right? And he goes on, and a total of seven times he makes reference to rights. And so this is where we see that this is a word for us today, because rights are a massive topic in our culture broadly, and they have also become a big issue within the church. Now, on the subject of rights, I want to quote to you from N.T. Wright, whose name is spelled differently, but he's become sort of my go-to person in regard to my study here of 1 Corinthians. But he said this, 
He said one of the great moral gains of the second half of the 20th century is the belief shared by most people around the world that all people are to be respected and valued. All people, not just some. Weak people, poor people, little people, hungry people, frightened people, people of different color, people of either sex, they all matter. And the strong, rich, big, well-fed, confident, socially advantaged people in the world have no right to do what they like with them. We say that people have rights in order to say that other people don't have the right to abuse or exploit them. But the language of rights can also be a way of asserting all kinds of other things about people being independent, being able to do what they want in every sphere of life. In fact, about having the right to be arrogant, selfish, greedy, or whatever. Now, this is true, isn't it? I mean, this is what we see happening in the culture. We see it all around us today. Everything is about my rights, and nobody's going to infringe upon my rights. That's happening culture-wide. It is also happening in the church among Christians. This is the way this group in Corinth, who, remember, were proud of their supposed superior knowledge, is using the idea of rights. Basically, what they're saying is, Paul, don't tell us that we need to limit our rights. These people, these weaker people, and seriously, you could even say they would think these stupid people should know better. And we're not going to let them restrict us from what we know we're free to do. So they are more concerned about exercising their rights than they are about the welfare of some of their fellow Christians. That is the point. That's the problem. So now here in the ninth chapter, Paul is going to show them what he does in regard to rights. And what we're going to see is basically Paul says, you know what? For the sake of love, we should be willing to lay down our rights. And we're going to see that Paul goes, he goes far beyond what he even instructs them to do. And he begins by reminding them that he is an apostle. And here's the point. As an apostle, he would have greater knowledge than anybody because, of course, he had direct divine revelation from God. That was his apostolic gifting. And Paul had greater power than any of them because he was appointed by Christ himself as an apostle, and that was a, a power position. And so here's the question. How does Paul use this greater knowledge and this greater power? Because this group is thinking, well, we know more, and because we know more, we've got more power, and therefore we know that our freedoms can't be challenged, but Paul is going to show them something different. So he says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Verse one, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? So Paul says, hey, I'm free. I've seen Jesus. Your salvation is due to my efforts. But yet at the same time, being in this elevated position, 
put there by God, what does he say he does? He lets go of his rights. How did he do that? Or why did he do that? Well, Paul knew that's what Jesus did. That's exactly what Jesus did. And so Paul, rather than being so concerned about his rights, he's more concerned with what did Jesus do and how can I follow what he did for the sake of the gospel. Now, when Paul wrote his letter to the church in Philippi, this is what he stated regarding what Jesus did in setting aside his rights. He said in chapter two, verses five through seven, Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So what Paul is actually doing is he is seeking not to make sure he's able to exercise all of his rights, but what he's really seeking to do is to be like his Lord. So Paul has rights as an apostle, but he gladly gives them up rather than hinder the gospel. And that's what he is expressing in verses four through 12. Now, there's another interesting thing here. Paul not only has rights, but he has a scriptural basis for his rights. So it's a funny thing that he's doing here because in a sense, he's gonna outdo his detractors because they're insisting We're free. We have these rights in the gospel. And it's almost like Paul's like, yeah, okay, you're right. I'm going to go one better. I'm going to show you even scripturally the case for my rights. And so he does that. And I want you to see what he does. So he can build a scriptural case for his rights, yet also have times where he knows for the benefit of others, he's going to forego those rights. Now, look at verses 8 through 10 with me. So, verse 8, Paul is asking a series of questions. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? And now, listen, do... I say this merely on human authority. Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, it is written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. So Paul says, look, do you think I don't get it that we have freedom in Christ and we have the freedom to exercise then our rights? Do you think I don't understand it? It's almost like Paul saying, I know it better than you. I've even got more than an opinion. I've got a scriptural base for it. And he does the same thing over in verses 13 through 14. He comes back. Once again, to the scripture, he says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple, speaking about the temple in Jerusalem, get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar. 
In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So it's pretty brilliant, really, what Paul is doing. He's actually outdoing his detractors, like I said. He's building a scriptural case. But here's his point. Even though I can build a scriptural case for my rights, it doesn't mean that I should always exercise my rights. Even though I have the freedom, even though I have biblical support for this. And that's what he says in the 12th verse. He's talking about all these different things. And he says, if others have this right of support from you, he's talking to the Corinthians who, of course, he was the founder of the church. He says, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. So this is his point. He's giving up his own rights. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. So here's Paul's main, his main contention with them is this. It's not about your rights. It's about the gospel. And it's not about your freedom. It's about love for your brother. And it's not about what you know, because knowledge just leads to arrogance. It's about love, because love builds people up. And Paul is saying, I personally do not want to do anything that is going to prevent the building up of my brothers or sisters or it's going to hinder that from happening. Now, I want to give an example that I think will be understandable by all of us by putting it in a context that we are all familiar with. So I can build a solid biblical case for a Christian's freedom to drink alcohol in moderation. I can build a case. I think it's an irrefutable case I know there are people that would disagree. I know that there are people that insist that, no, you know, a Christian, especially a Christian leader, should never drink alcohol because the alcohol in the Bible was, you know, the percentage was 25 parts water to one part wine. That's just not true. I mean, how would you even warn anybody about drunkenness if that was the case? You know, here, let's pour a gallon of water and we'll put a thimble of wine in it and tell everybody not to get drunk. So that, that's just, it, it's not the way it is. So scripturally, there isn't a prohibition against drinking alcohol in moderation. That's a biblical case. I believe it. I teach it. I support it. I don't even really use it because I'm not a drinker, but I just want to be true to what scripture says. But listen, Even though I can build a solid biblical case, there are times when for the sake of a weaker brother or sister, someone who could fall into alcohol abuse and drunkenness, I need, if I have that liberty, I need to set that liberty aside for the sake of their well-being. See, that's what Paul's talking about here. That is what we need to be willing to do We need to be willing to limit our rights to bless others and honor the gospel. Again, in a culture of rights being emphasized over and over in all around us, you find it everywhere. As I said, even in the church, this is the Christian approach to these things. I have freedom. I have rights in Christ, but the limit on those things is that 
I want to be a blessing to others, and I want to honor the gospel. And so this is where Paul then, well, let me just read this verse here. Verse 18, he said, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge. And so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So not make full use of my rights. I have the right to do this, but you know, I'm going to forego that right because I don't want to hinder the gospel. I don't want to stumble a person or hinder them from progressing in the gospel. Now, as we come to verse 19, this is where Paul talks about becoming all things to all people. And the important thing, again, for us to recognize, this verse has been misinterpreted and misapplied many, many times over. Now, what Paul is actually teaching is that he uses his freedom to limit his freedom for the sake of saving others. So when Paul's talking about having freedom, he's talking about having freedom to not have freedom. See, because too often when people are talking about their liberty to do this or to do that as a Christian, they're talking about doing things that potentially could stumble others. And as Paul said to the Galatians, don't use your freedom as a cloak for sin. And some have indeed done that. I have seen this over and over and over again. And so, because Paul says, I become all things to all people, I've heard some people say, well, hey, you know, uh, I want to get the gospel to my friends, and they like to get together, and they like to, you know, smoke a little weed and just hang out, and hey, you know, God said to be all things to all men, so I just, you know, sure, yeah, pass me that joint, and hey, let's talk about Jesus. And No, <laughs> that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what he did. It's not taking my Christian liberty and saying, wow, I can do all of this stuff with it. Paul's using this liberty in the exact opposite direction of what they're promoting. See, we have to remember that the freedom we have, it's a freedom, it's not only a freedom to do certain things, it's also freedom to not do things. Because what we never want to do is we never want to, as as we've already said, we never want to stumble anybody. But the other thing we never want to do is we never want to risk bringing ourselves back into bondage to something that God has already done. March, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. With all the chaos, unrest, and uncertainty in our world, behind it all is the unseen realm where a spiritual battle is being waged. And this spiritual battle not only affects the world collectively, but even our lives individually. This month's book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, will give you an understanding of the battle that is raging behind the scenes. You will understand the enemy who is waging war against you, his tactics, and how you can be equipped to emerge victorious. As people of God, we must be aware of the spiritual battle we're all involved in, the sophisticated ways in which we're constantly being attacked, and the provision for victory we have in Jesus. If you want to be equipped for the spiritual battle we're engaged in, or to be able to help others become equipped, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. 
to order The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. And it is the trip of a lifetime. So we'd love to have you join us. And if you're interested, we're going to have an informational meeting on Sunday, March 20th at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Or you can find out the details if you go online at israel.cccm.com. Yep. We hope you can join us. It's going to be great. It will be.